Do you want the title? The first one I'm going to read. I'm writing this from my mother's apartment. It's called Orange. All I could think about was being written into her life story. She made up a story about What was the inspiration for the story? My story is called Cigarettes. What was the genesis? I used to be almost dependent on voice. I want to talk to you. (laughs) And the conversation starts. Hello, and welcome to Off the Page, a podcast of stories, essays, and poetry from the Stanford University writing community. In each episode, a Stanford author will read a piece of their writing and then talk to us about their craft and process. I'm Mark Lebowski, Jones Lecturer in the Creative Writing Program. Derek Austin is the author of Trouble the Water, BOA Editions. A Kaveh Kahnem Fellow, his work has appeared or is forthcoming in Best American Poetry, Image, A Journal of Arts and Religion, New England Review, The Nation, and Tin House. He was a finalist for the 2017 Kate Tufts Discovery Award. He is a 2019 to 2021 Stegner Fellow in Poetry at Stanford University. Days of 2014. He had told me to circle the lake, smell of pepper and pine resin. Black people died or went missing that summer, every day it seemed, and here was someone who wanted to find me. We drank red wine, heavy and bitter. Like hands of a clock, sunlight swerved across the lake. Turns mixed their shadows and bodies with the water. When he laughed, a little foam gathered on his incisors. He helped me into the wild grass and slash pines when I couldn't walk. There is a roof one man's body makes over another. Pine needles on sharp grains, this is what I remember. This is how I escaped the world, a little foam. Deer and Decorations I ought to see myself as a man, be proud and grateful. I'd rather be your ermine with a silver bell on my pink satin collar. Let my farewell and arrival tease the same gasp from you. Let your sound surprise you every time. If you grant a silk pillow, I'll make of myself a moon your guests can admire. When lords throw bloody chunks at their hounds, impress them with your finger dipped in honey or olive oil, all I need to survive. Let saints be wrapped in swaddling clothes, cradle me, I'll warm your hands. Tonight, there is a fire, carafes of wine, silver dishes of sweets and almonds. You recite a French fairy tale called Winter, while the shadows of snowflakes drift across the floor. It's the climax of a story about exile, which is a love story, too. The prince is scarred, has grown a grief beard. He's slain the scaled beast, its eyes bright as a fallen star, its back like a nautilus. He's assumed the position of Christ. Three times he spurned the love of the fairy queen. Until now, he's refused to ask for help or protection. I would be too ashamed to ask for these were I a man. The sky in the tail is like the sky outside, pinkish-gray, a greenhouse of jasmine and lilac filling with smoke. When the prince trudges out of the cold, tall as the pines, hair crowned with white that melts and chills again on his neck and ears, and rests his head on his lord's lap, breaking the curse, your ladies draw closer to each other, their silences nearly touching. They return to their chambers when the story ends. You put me in a cage and go to bed. 
The fireplace bears red fangs outside the fox and bear. Crows undulate in their night like a repressed mood. The last of the hunters return home with their kills. Rabbits and squirrels they'll skin and dress. They are silent. Bulky in fur, they are some new creature, a little blood staining here and there. Who is not with them? What loss will harden their hearts because they won't speak of it? Would they know how? They are changed. They are at the gates. This next poem is called Hotline Bling Voicemail. Ever since I left the city, you got me fucked up. Can't even say Drake. Your name inked on the sweet meat of my thigh, crossed out, Drake. Two things don't abandon black people, death and style. Nothing good happens after midnight and dark liquor. Delicious, valuable, blackness, this ache. What happens to a meme deferred? Does he thirst trap on Instagram, sip Doucet with Odell? I loved you before the beard and protein shakes. Morgan says we should all get free therapy. We could call it reparations. Can I dance inside a sad lamp? My feelings are obsidian, opaque. Calling you was my first mistake, Aubrey. I masturbate. I dream you do not move, but grant for prayer's sake. I dream that you and I don't move. What gives the night its name? What bloody sway? Like a mandrake, I holler when I wake. So this, this next poem I'm going to read is in conversation with the Aeneid a little bit. Um, and for folks who haven't dusted off their Virgil in a minute, um, the only thing you need to know about it, essentially, is that it's uh, basically like the founding story of, of Rome. And Aeneas is the hero of the poem, who is fleeing Troy um, as it falls. And Aeneas flees with his father, uh, carrying his father on his back. And... Um, also in the poem, as he's on his way to Rome, he stops in Carthage, where he starts a love affair with Queen Dido. Um, and because the gods are petty and messy, the gods are like, you have to go and leave her and go found Rome. And, um, and in her grief, Dido kills herself. So those are about the only things you need to know. And this poem is called Little Epic. The capital is already underwater the inside of a sea god's throat, or maybe his liver. Let's take the boy in his rowboat, the only survivor, let's say. Moonlight, stars, a good wind, black Aeneas without a father on his back. Already the boy is a failure. His name is Lyric. Emancipation unsettles him. Who said liberty was a field of lavender studded with bees? Who said it wasn't a sea? Risk and refusal, these will be the twins that guide toward no empire. Let there be a kind of Carthage for the boy, illuminated by fires not of grief or betrayal, rough harbor where he will be a man unbecoming. Tenderness. That summer, I was a body. I was that body, the body. Overnight, a fog of linen inside the mauve Victorian down the block. Another house empty for the season, for the season, for the season. Hours built up on both sides of my bedroom door. Morgan and Denez rode in the Grand Canal at Versailles. Morgan filled a postcard with her hands and memory. 
rose quartz, a diary, holy water, with what belief, what could I have asked for? Leaving my apartment for the first time in days, I walked five minutes to Lake Mendota. Barking, honking, shrieking, grunting, men tested their bodies for each other and themselves. Open doors to admit the breeze, the possibility of that one guest. When Emily Bronte wrote, they've gone through and through me like wine through water and altered the color of my mind, she wasn't writing about my depression. Double tapped a photo of Morgan and Angel posing near a green door with hinges older than the Constitution. They read their black poems in English to black people who spoke English and French and Arabic. If I sent a postcard to everyone I loved, it'd say, sometimes I think you're just too good for me. The most personal question I'm consistently asked, why are you so quiet? That I'm getting this all down wrong, that I'm getting it down at all. The Marina. For years, I wanted a veil the color of gulls brightening this acre of sky. Veil as in shield and haven, as in service to a lord who, without harm, entrusts his hand to me, allows my body's intimacies and silence. I could be unsure without confession. There is a sound within the sea, neither male nor female, that could be the sound of my body's deep aqua sway. The wedding party returns. Boats and gulls come close to me. Someone says this is heaven, and it can be. What do we know? I soak my feet and minnows shine, exquisite beating on the hem of a garment that touches the world. How desperately we consume the water and enter the water wishing to be consumed and nothing changes. A black couple camps by the water, bubble and rush, flirt and withdraw kissing, stroking their arms, dissolving what they perceive into biography and flesh and dream. The younger man leans into the space between his lover's neck and shoulder and, hear the sermon of that old nihilist the sea, they crane their heads and look toward the sun. Hi, Derek. Hey, Mark. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, being on Off the Page and sharing these poems with us. Thanks for having me. Are these are these new poems? Are these part of like a new project you're working on? So all of those poems are part of a manuscript in progress that I'm trying to work on, that I'm trying to finish up actually. And it's a manuscript that's thinking a lot about about what it's like to be black and queer in America at this particular moment and the preceding couple of years, like this decade really. So just kind of thinking about the the various harms that America and like its various systems, um, what harms they do on communities of color and on queer people. But then the manuscript is also, I think, a celebration of friendship and chosen family and thinking about friendship as a means of preserving and saving each other in the face of such uh, chaos and, and violence. So that's that's where those poems are coming from, essentially. Well, that makes me think of the poem in particular, Days of 2014, which I know there's a poem by Cavafy, Days of 19-oh-something. Yeah, he has a bunch. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe that's like a thing, like a, oh, yeah. a series. I remember I heard one read somewhere once. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you like recognize the Cavafy kind of lineage that the title has, because I was thinking a lot about him. I've been thinking a lot about Cavafy as I've been working on this book, and thinking about the way that he would often braid history uh, 
history as sort of like the grand pageant of time, um, braiding that together with more personal kind of smaller intimate dramas. And I wanted to to write a poem in that tradition, but also doing it my way. So like thinking about it as a black American and being like very explicit about like, you know, like this scene of queer desire and queer sexuality in the particular context of uh, summer after summer, it, it felt where it was just nonstop news of, of, of unarmed black people being shot by the police. Um, so in a sense, the past was always there in the poem. But then again, like I think that's just part and parcel of being black in America. Like the past is is explicitly with us at all times. So I guess in a, in a lot of ways, I think I'm a retrospective poet. I guess I'm always thinking about the past in a lot of ways. Well, that makes me think uh, of an interview that I read in which you said, uh, I don't know if you remember this. Oh, uh, hi. <laughs> metaphor metaphor is finding connections in unlikeness mm-hmm. and that seems to be a factor in a lot of these poems, like writing a response to the Aeneid or writing a response to Drake or wanting to write um, a queer black response to Kavafi. And I'm curious, like in the generative process, is it that you just sense like two disparate elements that I want to play with? Or is it you start with one thing and then you discover it contains another thing? I'm just curious, like how those connections get forged for you. Sure. I think the connecting things through unlikeness is just part of how I think. I feel like I have a really magpie sense of imagination. I've always been... I always love bringing different aspects of culture together because that's part of the surprise and and joy for me in writing poems and hopefully as, as readers and receiving it. So with the Drake poem, for example, it's like thinking about... Thinking about Drake as sort of like this this particular cultural figure in a sense where he's sort of this really accessible, cartoony, kind of fun pop cultural figure, but then like thinking about being black in America and thinking about the particular violences that that can happen to black people, but then also thinking about Drake and masculinity and like thinking about his persona and a lot of his raps where he has really dubious sexual politics about women and bring all those to bear and a poem, so like I'm always trying to trying to bring things together as like a source of surprise. Is is I think how I relate to unlikeness in poems and and what I'm attempting to do in my work. I'd also really like to talk about the poem "Deer and Decorations." So this is written from the perspective of an ermine. Can you yes. tell <laughs> listeners what an ermine is? Um, so an ermine is it looks a bit like a weasel, and it used to be hunted and used for its fur. It has really good fur. Apparently, yeah, and so I, I wrote this poem from that particular perspective. So I, I might be off the mark here, but I, I, I read this as a very queer poem, mm-hmm. and I was really interested in how the, the speaker of this poem defines himself as sort of neither at the pole of masculinity nor the pole of femininity, and the the definition of self through through saying like well I am not this or you know lords throw bloody chunks at their hounds but but I just want your fingers dipped in honey or olive oil or saints should be you know wrapped in swaddling but for me cradle in your warm hands uh, I thought there was just something so beguilingly erotic and specific about the the portrait being created through these images and 
Um, I'm just curious where this poem started from. Yeah, thanks so much for, for noticing that. I was very intentional in doing that. That was part of the intent of the poem. And this one was a joy to write. Like, honestly, and this rarely ever happens, like the first lines were the f first ones that came to me when I was working on it. And I was really thinking a lot about um, escape and transformation. So much of these new poems, as I've mentioned, are thinking about police brutality, for example, and the way that that black people, by virtue of our race, are so often surveilled. There's no, there's no hiding when you're black in America. You just are like always a very visible figure in a space. And so with this poem, I wanted to play around with ideas of transformation and play with ideas of what would happen if, if I shed this particular form and like leaving behind ideas of masculinity and leaving behind ideas of not only violence is done to me or the speaker, but also violences that men often enact upon other people. And I wanted to play around with that richness and think about ways to subvert masculinity and ways to allow play and allow for joy and allow for, for a sort of frivolousness in this particular space, but also think about, you know, in the midst of this sort of fairy tale transformation, there's still always the threat of violence from animals. If you are an ermine now, it's like, oh, you got to worry about foxes and bears. So there's like never really a 100% escape. And so I'm, I, I'm thinking a lot about those tensions in this particular poem. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of reads as like a portrayal of a happy submissive, you know, or a mm -hmm. happy bottom, you know, like you put me in a cage and go to bed. I yeah. mean, um, and, and seeing that as a position of strength. And yet it's bookended or it, 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 it's concluded with these these men, these hunters coming back and, you know, maybe someone, they're, they're, they're bloodstained, maybe someone has died, someone's not with them, but they won't, they won't speak of the loss. So mm -hmm. there's like these other masculine iconography sort of at the edges of the poem. Well, I wonder if, like, in general, when you're, you know, working on this project and writing about what it is to be black and to be queer in America and wanting to do, to do justice to what's really going on, do you find it hard in this poem or in days of 2014 or in any of the poems to balance maybe brutality and tenderness or the pain with the joy? Absolutely. I think, I think the competing struggles of, of tenderness and brutality is something that I've always thought about in my poems, but this, the explicitly political dimension that I'm now adding to these poems makes it a bit more fraught in a lot of ways. I feel like so often poets of color and, and queer poets, I feel like there's always this pressure to be explicitly political in our work and always and always talk about the issues and always talk about violences and abuses of power. And so I think in that way, that tension is in my head, the expectation of who I am as an artist, like the other voices who like have nothing to do with the actual art itself is always there. And for me, a way to get over those particular pressures is, is just thinking small scale and thinking about the particulars of my lived experience. I feel so often uh, poets of color are called upon to like write like grand unified theories of like racism and like this is how class struggle works and like this is what everything means. And so just thinking about like the smaller particulars of my lived life helps a lot in that regard. And um, 
thinking about happiness. They've been thinking a lot about happiness in these poems and thinking about how um, it's such a complicated word, right? So it's like, it's so commercialized where it's like happiness, you buy all of this stuff and you'll be happy, right? Whereas for me, I think a lot about happiness is sort of like the brief moment where you're like at peace, like you're not worried about something, like everything is just right for the moment. And I think so often about how um, marginalized communities often aren't allowed that. And often whenever we're like in the media or in the news, it's because something terrible has happened as opposed to like, this is our regular life. Like this is just us chilling at home watching TV. This is just us making dinner with friends. And so I think a lot about the, the particularities and just like the small intimacies of our lives as a means of of talking about tenderness and talking about brutality at the same time. So let's talk about tenderness. Um, All right. This poem I thought was also so beautiful. Something, something that struck me when I was when I was reading it is the line Morgan and Denez wrote in the Grand Canal of Versailles. I'd heard you read this poem before, but when I was reading this, I thought, oh, they're all in they're all in Europe together. And then it was only upon a second read that I understood, oh, this is. Instagram, or this yeah. is like online <laughs> connectivity, um, which is, of course, you know, you said this, this book also deals with friendship, like this is how we experience so many of our friendships now, is in these digital spaces. I'm curious how you have found the experience of writing about the digital spaces that we occupy now, because you also seem very interested in, in corporeality. I mean, the first lines of this poem are body, body, body. I was mm-hmm. I was a body, that body, the body. Is it harder to write about about bodies when our <laughs> when our lives are so bodiless now? So I'm thinking of two things at the same time. So I'm thinking how so much of our friendships and relationships as you mentioned are like now like in digital spheres. Like I've made, you know, so many great friends just on Twitter and we have never met in in real life. And thinking about how those spaces are saving spaces for a lot of people. Like it's a means of establishing community when geography is too big or there are other impediments. And, you know, that ties together with, you know, themes of community and friendship that I've been thinking about. And then also thinking about visual images. So thinking about Instagram, which is like the the app that the poem is, is existing in. Um, like I think a lot about visual art um, and write a lot about visual art. So, I'm always interested in in presentation and and what we see and like what we perceive from what we see, like what assumptions we make when we see an image of a person, what um, what like automatic assumptions we make, even you know, like the split second things where you like you just see something, it's like, oh, like this is what I assume about a particular person, right? Because again, like this comes back to ideas about blackness and about like how, you know, I'm always, I'm always hyper aware of like how I act and behave in particular spaces because I'm a black man um, and I'm an effeminate gay man. So like I'm always like constantly aware of like how I move my body or what I say and how I say it. Um, So I think like the digital sphere is just like another layer of complication, like another way of thinking through like these age old problems about representation and presentation and community building. Like it's all there. It's just. Now we have memes. <laughs> I'd just like to end, Derek, by asking a little more about Hotline Bling and 
the role Drake played in inspiring this poem and maybe more broadly how how music and pop culture sort of influences your poetry? Sure. So it's actually funny. So like the Drake poems, they're part of a series. There are four of them that I have right now. And it actually started as like a dare back in grad school because the running joke was I had a crush on Drake. And so like everybody kept daring me to write a poem about Drake. And then I finally did. And it didn't turn out so bad. That very first one was actually a poem like thinking about, again, masculinity, but also thinking about my relationship with my father. And like the funny thing to me about Drake is he's such an interesting avatar for so many things. Um, like I mentioned earlier how like he's an interesting way to think about masculinity, right? In the ways that uh, Drake talks about women, for example. Um, I have another Drake poem called Thinking of Romanticism, Thinking of Drake. So thinking about Drake in conversation with like the romantic poets and thinking about romanticism more broadly about, you know, the individual and like the 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 largeness of the individual spirit and like feelings all the time, which is like, oh, that's just Drake. Like, it's Byron Shelley Keats and Drake. <laughs> like, it's all the same lineage, right? But then again, like, you know, thinking about um, the early 19th century is also a time of revolution and a time of, like, in, intense political change and, and turmoil and, like, intense discovery. And it's like, oh, same thing here uh, in 2019. So, yeah, like, Drake is really interesting. It's uh, to think more broadly about pop culture. There's, like, a strain of criticism about using pop culture and poetry, right, where, like, a lot of there's a group of writers who would sometimes say it's like, don't put pop culture references in your poems. It'll like age them badly or like nobody will get the references, right? And for me, I find pop culture to be such a rich well of reference because pop culture doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? It's like movies, TV, it's all narrative. It's all like inherited things. It's all inherited forms, right? And I find that they are really fresh wells to look into if you like look deeply enough. You know, I think that there are interesting connections to be made and interesting ways to think about, you know, how different medias can be represented in poetry, right? Like people writing Twitter poems and people writing visual poems and poems with hyperlinks in them that you can play with online. Um, you know, it's just a vast field and why not explore it? We're poets, we should do it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so my last question then, and this maybe goes full circle back to my first one, which I believe was a metaphor. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, is when you talk about these connections, um, I'm curious. Like, do you do you find do you do you find these connections in the writing, or do the connections exist sort of a priori? Like, oh, right, the moment that we're in right now is like the moment that Keats and Shelley were writing about. Thus, I start generating a poem, or is it more I'm like just sort of finding my way through all these references, and then like suddenly I see aha mm-hmm. uh-huh. it it's a little of both. It really depends on the particular poem. Um, so, for example, um like the romanticism poem I mentioned earlier, like that was one where I knew the connection immediately. Like I knew I wanted to talk about like, Drake in connection with these poets. Like, that was a connection that I wanted to explore more. Um, And on the other hand, I have poems. I'm trying to think of a poem. Well, Dear and Decorations, for example. Like, I had ideas, like, sort of floating around nebulously about, oh, here's this ermine. I want to think about queerness and gender and, like, how can we play with that? And so it it was really, like, the writing of the poem was, like, the guide for me in, in thinking about these 
connections more explicitly between like, you know, fairy tale and fable and transformation and queerness and masculinity like that took some time to figure out. So it really just depends on the poem. Um, Thank you so much, Derek, for being with us on Off the Page. My pleasure. It's been a joy. This episode was produced by Alessandra Wallner, Maddie Curtis, and our talented team of producers, editors, and coaches. Aaron Wu, Sienna White, Aparna Verma, Yui Lee, Claudia Haymack, Christopher Laboa, Victoria Wan, and Jet Hayward. Thanks to Leland Quarterly for their editorial help, especially Zui Zhao. Thanks to Jonah Willingans for his supervision, and to Ivan Bolin, Christina Ablatza, and Ose Jackson at the Creative Writing Program. For their generous support to the Stanford Storytelling Project, we'd like to thank the Vice Provost for Undergraduate Education, Stanford Arts, and Bruce Braden.